if you're looking to reach young people and if you're looking to engage young people, you want to go to where they are. TikTok is where they are. Next, you want to look at how you can reach them. Influencers are who these young people follow. So you want to go to where they are with who they follow and with who they consume. And TikTok creators are the way to do that. Hello, this is The Great Battlefield Podcast. I'm Nathaniel G. Perlman. A great political battle is being fought right now between progressives and the forces of reaction on the other side. This show is about the political entrepreneurs and other progressive leaders who are finding new or improved ways to fight. My guest today is Ashwath Narayanan. Ashwath is the CEO of Social Current. Social Current has been putting together a platform that connects progressive organizations with mission-aligned creative influencers, especially on TikTok. I really enjoyed the conversation with Ashwath, who's an up-and-coming progressive political entrepreneur, and I think you'll find it well worth the listen. So first my sponsor, then my interview with Ashwath about Social Current. Check out the large, detailed, and high-quality political data graphic posters from TimePlots. Our visual history of the American presidency, for example, lets you see the Clinton, Bush, Obama, and Trump presidencies in full context. TimePlots Library includes visual histories of the United States House, the United States Senate, the Supreme Court, and the Democratic and Republican parties. Find them all at www.timeplots.com. Use the code BATTLEFIELD for a discount. Ashwath, would you mind introducing yourself and giving me a quick biography? Of course. My name is Ashwath Narayanan. I'm the co-founder and CEO at Social Current. We're a platform that matches impact organizations, progressive nonprofits, and causes with the right creators. A little bit about my background. I was born in the U.S. I grew up in India. I moved back to the U.S. when I was 18 for college, went to GW. During the whole time, I was spending a lot of time in marketing and startups and kind of the impact nonprofit space just being in D.C. And so I was doing a lot of consulting, helping these organizations figure out how to reach young people more effectively through TikTok, Reels, Emerging Media. Figured I was doing the same thing again and again and um, decided I would launch an agency. I would pay my rent. I would hire more young people. And we would have voices in these rooms where people were making decisions about how to reach us without us. And so decided to launch Social Current, launched Social Current, discovered influencer marketing, pivoted into a tech platform. And that's kind of the short and dirty. Happy to go into it more. But that's a little bit about me and Social Current. Well, I think that's a good start. I have one question off the top, which puzzled me immediately. The spelling of current. What's going on there? Because a current spelled that way is a small red berry. Yep. Yeah. And I was wondering if you meant current like up to date, but what was the thinking there? No, it's the first question anyone who hears our name asks us. Um, and I think we were thinking about what we wanted to do and we wanted to be social, obviously, and we wanted to be current with the E. We wanted to be current news, current events, current trends. But if you search social current with an E, those two words are like not SEO optimized at all. Like we would get lost. We would not be able to differentiate. And so we were like, hey, let's put a fun spin on it. Let's make it current with an A and then let's incorporate it into our color. So we have like the bold red, the blue, the purple, and we call ourselves the currents. You know, it's it's like a thing. It, it was for no reason. We just 
flip the letter and it's stuck. And that actually seems like clever naming when there's intention around it and kind of a bad happenstance if it was a mistake. So I'm glad to hear that it was not a mistake. For sure. I do want to ask you some questions about that run up to social current. And so what was it like going back and forth between two countries and having a youth that's sort of international in that way? It was interesting for sure. I think I've I've been always been from two countries because even in India, I had a U.S. passport and I should renew my visa at one point for to be in India every nine months. Like my whole family had Indian passports and I had to renew my visa every nine months, go to the office, spend a whole day off from school. And I think like for a lot of my life, it was that experience that defined me being from two countries. But I think a lot of it was also like the influence of the West on India and how that impacted me. Like I remember watching the 2016 elections, for example, and then being really nervous when I was applying to colleges in the U.S., and to come to the U.S. And so that's another part of the experience that impacted me. But then it was also like having this opportunity, like I came to the U.S. and had an immense amount of opportunity. And I think that is another part. So I think like being from both countries has definitely affected me and really impacted what I do. And it's been a wonderful experience. And, you know, it's always great to be from one country, but I'm from two. And I think that's awesome. Out of curiosity, what do your folks do? My dad works as a software engineer, um, and my mom works in nonprofits. So she's worked in nonprofits for as long as I can remember. Since I was like a kid, she would drag me to do, you know, help and volunteer at these nonprofits, and I hated it back then. But I guess now I'm more into it, and I'm, you know, in the space. But you know, that kind of influence of like the tech and the nonprofits is sort of what brought me here. Yeah, makes sense. You have quite a lot of internships and short-term jobs. And as you mentioned, a lot of things in the marketing space. Tell me what you were learning along the way. Yeah, so I think like my interest into marketing really came from an interest in journalism. When I was growing up, when I was going through high school, I loved writing. And so like instead of studying, I would write and I tried to write a book. Obviously, it went nowhere, but I, you know, I would handwrite this book um, instead of studying and um, it became a way of procrastination, but I really fell in love with telling stories. That's why I decided to study journalism in college. But along the way, I discovered marketing was another form of telling stories. And so I started diving into marketing and learned more about how to communicate with people, how to, you know, design, how to, you know, edit videos and things of that. So I really learned about like how to understand what people wanted, what people needed, and communicate with them effectively in order to share that, in order to give them what they needed. And so over the years, I've learned a lot from marketing, but it's a lot has been about learning about people and telling their stories. And I've learned a lot about that. When did you first come across TikTok? I first came across TikTok four, five years ago. And I was really skeptical of the platform because I'm not a video person. I'm a Obviously, I said I write like writing, and so I love text-based stuff. Images was fine, but I'm not a video person at all, which is why I don't do a lot of TikTok content. And I have you know people that do that that are great at it, and that's why we work with creators who are great at it. But four or five years ago, and I was like, no one's gonna like a video-only platform, right? Like, why would they only want to create videos? It's so much high effort. It's like you instead of taking a photo, you have to film yourself and people won't like that. But I was wrong. And I'm glad I was wrong because TikTok in short form is one of the best things I think that has happened to comms and communications. But yeah, four or five years ago is when I learned about TikTok, I think. Why do you think it's one of the best things that's happened? What is it about TikTok that 
you think is so cool? I think like with specifics to the influencer space, I think it's made creators and becoming creators more accessible. If you look at Instagram or YouTube, it's a lot harder to become a popular creator. Um, on YouTube, you have to have maybe more equipment a lot of times, or you have to have more access to things and access to things you can do and cool things and all of that to become popular on YouTube. On Instagram, you have to have this persona, people like following people they aspire to be and on Instagram. And so you have to have this persona that you can build. But on TikTok, anyone can become a creator. And I think like that's the big thing about TikTok that's now moving to other platforms. Like you can be in your home, you can just be filming some cool skill you have and you can become a creator because of that. And I think like that access has made who becomes a creator better and it's be allowed anyone to become a creator, which I think is really important. And that's why I like TikTok. I have spent enough time scrolling on it to understand it, I think, and to have a sense of its addictiveness. And it's definitely something which can either waste a lot of your time or teach you a lot in the nature of a lot of these platforms. I know that my 20-year-old kid mocks me when if she sees that I'm on that for sure. And maybe I'm not the target age range, although I've seen people of all ages uh, as creators on it. But what's the intersection between TikTok and politics? When we looked at TikTok and what we wanted to do, what we realized is TikTok was where people are. And so whether it's good, bad, TikTok is where people are. And so we decided that we would use the platform for good. And so if they're consuming content, we try to get the content they're consuming to be good and to be for the better. I think the intersection between politics and TikTok is politics is all about, you know, reaching people and getting their input on decisions and decision making. The people that, you know, are on TikTok can give input to politicians, to, you know, campaigns, to causes, can support causes. And so, like, there's a lot of intersection between politics and TikTok because TikTok is where people are and politics is all about people and reaching people and communicating with people. And so I think that's the intersection is TikTok is where people are. I think there's also a subset of that, which is a lot of politics is focused on how to engage young people, how to activate young people, how to mobilize young people. And young people, more than anyone else, are on TikTok as well and other short form platforms. So I think that's another intersection too. You mentioned earlier that you noticed some of what you were doing was kind of repetitive or you're kind of doing the same thing for different clients. It sounded like to me, I don't know if I got that quite right, but tell me about that, that realization. What was it that you were doing that felt repetitive and that made you want to start an agency? Yeah. So I think like what was repetitive was like, I think a lot of my entrepreneur journey, first of all, has been repetitive pivot, repetitive pivot. Um, and so a lot of what I was doing within these organizations was helping them, for example, edit video to make it for TikTok or coach a client on how to film for TikTok or how to be film for a shorter timeline, you know, instead of filming a 10 minute video, you had to do 30 seconds. And so I was doing the same thing for organization A, B, C, startup, social impact startup, nonprofit. And so that was the repetitive nature is I was doing these things as a consultant for them. And I was like, hey, there's so many organizations that want me to do this, but I can only do five or I can only do six. I can't do hundreds. And if I want to impact hundreds, I need to have other great people who can do this. And so that's where the agency came from is like looking at what I could do myself what I wanted to impact and how to get there. And that's where the agency came from is 
agencies have the ability to help more people than just a person or a consultant. And then as we started the agency, we began doing influencer marketing work. And again, it was very repetitive. We found ourselves doing the same thing for all of our clients. And we realized that we were doing this manual repetitive process that we could optimize and automate. And that's where we're trying to build this tech platform. And so kind of everything I've done has been repetitive. How do we not make it repetitive? How do we make it scalable? And then, you know, make it scalable. I mean, you mentioned your entrepreneurship journey, and I saw that that includes some other things that you've tried to start. And I think we learn a lot as entrepreneurs. We learn maybe more from things that don't work than things that do work, or we certainly learn different things. Tell me about a few of the things you've tried to do and how they went. Yeah, I mean, the most interesting thing I tried to do um, was in high school, and it was with my actual current co-founder. I was really into slam poetry back then, um, and I would do, like, events, and I would, you know, I wasn't quite good at it, but I would really, you know, go speak at these events. And then I got into the organizing side of it because there weren't really too many collectives for me. And so I tried to put together a kind of slam poetry festival back home. And so the first year we did it, it was great and went, went really well. We were cash flow positive, all of that. Like we, we didn't like do it for the profit. So we made back the money. We didn't lose money basically. And then like, we were like, oh, this is wonderful. We're really good at this. We're going to try to put something up next year. That's like a hundred times the size. So we went from like one to hundred and like over a year, um, and it was, it was insane. We tried to get like these poets from the U.S. to come to India that were really popular. And like we tried to get pay for their plane tickets, their fees. And like we were not prepared at all. Like they all had to cancel. Like we didn't have enough tickets sold. We had to refund a bunch because they canceled. Like we still put together the event. And it was probably like one and a half times the size of the first one. But it was definitely not 100. And in that, I learned the importance of cash flow, really. Like, I was spending money that I didn't have. Like, I was committing money that I didn't have, not spending it. I was telling people that because I thought we would get kind of tickets sold, but we didn't get as many. And that cash flow kind of cycle and the nature of the event really taught me um, what we're doing now. And so, like, that was a huge thing. But also the importance of, like, scaling slowly like you don't have to go from one to hundred like you can go from one to two and it's going to be fine like no one needs hundred i think building slowly and intentionally i think is another huge learning there yeah and, and how great to get that out of the way while you're still in high school exactly and now i look at it as a learning experience back then it was so bad like i was so disappointed I, it was like oh my god what have i done and but then now i look at it as really as an experience that i learned from and better to have learned that then than now really is is my also big takeaway. I mean, you don't want to learn it in a way where, you know, you have some giant multi-billion dollar crypto company and you get taught a lesson in front of the whole world and lose all your money and go to prison, right? Exactly. Exactly. It was better to do it with the tens to hundreds of dollars than the... Uh... Were your folks supportive through the process of you overreaching like that? So they they were um, cautious. They told me that I was overreaching, obviously didn't listen. They were supportive through the failure of it. They kept warning me that I was doing too much um, because I also had school, high school, applying to colleges, writing these essays, SAT, like all of that at the same time. And so they told me, don't try to do this much. Obviously, I didn't listen, but they were really supportive through the failure of it. And they were the ones who helped me kind of position it as a learning experience and told me that it was better to do this now than like 
anytime later because it was not risky at all to do that at that time. And I think that was really helpful for me to get kind of out of it and get, you know, move on to other things. Why did you pick GW and how was that experience for you? I picked GW really because of DC. Like I didn't even know Georgetown existed really. Like my college counselor um, told me to apply to GW and it was the last college I applied to. Like I, I decided like we, I would apply to like 10 you, or nine, you do like three high, three medium, three reach. And like, I don't know what GW was, but it was like my ninth on the list. And I was like, okay, I'll apply because it's DC. And I really picked GW because of DC, but also because I got a scholarship at GW um, to make it more affordable, um, obviously. And so I picked GW because of DC and I was interested in politics at that time, was following politics. I was also interested in journalism and GW has a great school for journalism. I came in, started in politics. I didn't like studying it as much. And so I switched to journalism, um, halfway through the rest is history. I love my experience at GW. I think it's, it, but I love my experience being in DC a lot more. I love the city. I love the people, all of that. Yeah, it is. I like I like Washington D.C. I remember uh, myself the, the first time I came. I was for a job interview. I think it was after my junior year of college, approximately then. And I came down, and it was at night. Came off the train at Union Station, saw a lot of monuments lit up at night. I mean, it's kind of magical. No, that experience, like I remember my first day, I was just walking around the monuments, just being able to look at all that and see all that and be a part of it, I think is awesome. So there's this theme in what you seem to be doing of being interested in impact enterprises, nonprofits in, in, the, in the political world. Where's that coming from? I think it's definitely kind of influenced from my parents and my mom's, you know, work in the nonprofit space. I think a lot of it is just like you all have a choice. You can either do good, you can do net neutral or do bad. I just chose that I could do good um, because I could. I have the opportunity to, I have the privilege to, I have the resources to. And so I decided I would just choose to do that. And I looked at kind of like just the world in general and we have so many problems. And I think like if there's more people trying to solve some of them, at least it will be a little helpful. It was really simple. I just chose to do it. And then I also found a lot of people that wanted to do good as well. My team wants to do good. I found a lot of mentors who were in the impact space and I think it all resonated with me and I felt like it belonged to the space. And so that's that's really why. But a lot of it's influenced from kind of my childhood growing up in India and seeing kind of the disparities in India as well. You glancingly referred to Trump election in 2016 and India also has its experiment with Modi. What is the impact of those two been on you in your politics? I think Obama's election was the one I paid attention to, but Trump's election was the first election where I wanted to do something. Um, I wanted to, you know, have some sort of impact in the space because I think like it needed it. Like I think the election showed the American people, but also the people of the world, how much work was needed to do good. And I think like that kind of woke me up to like, okay, I need to focus on the impact space. That's really where it came from. And then in India, there's Modi as well, who's still there. And I think there's a lot, a lot of work needed in Indian politics too. Um, unfortunately, not as experienced in Indian politics because I grew up too young to be involved in Indian politics and then moved here. And so like, I have like 
weirdly small amounts of knowledge about both sides because I grew up halfway there and then halfway here. You mentioned a co-founder that you go back a long way with. Tell me about that person and how you got together to do this. Yeah. Um, so his name's Vidya. He goes to school in Canada now. Um, but we we met in like 11th grade and we used to do like model United Nations together. That's where we met. And then we were also in class together and we would sit together. And I'm a more introverted person. I love talking to people one on one. I don't do well in groups. And he was the opposite. He loves you know, talking to people, building relationships with people. He's a very social person. And I find myself drawing towards those types of people. And he was one of them. And so he's like kind of the balanced version of me, um, able to talk to more people versus I'm more of the one-on-one person. And I think like that's really worked well for us through obviously that experience in high school, through now, and hopefully in the future as well. You know, I wouldn't have guessed you to be an introvert. I would call myself one. You feel social and, you know, voluble to me. I don't think being introverted is not social, right? I think it's more, I think I love people. I don't do well in groups. So we're one-on-one and so it feels more comfortable. Exactly. You don't realize that you're listening to an audience. Right. I mean, it's not even the audience. I've done events, speaking, things like that. It's more like relationship building in groups. Like I know like networking events, for example, I'm able to do when I'm talking to the person one-on-one, but if you put me in a large group and I have to go talk to all of them, like I can do it, but I prefer this more and I'm like more comfortable with this, like things like that. I think even more than an introvert, I think for me also like the right people um, make me extroverted. So it's that too. Yeah. Yeah, I, I totally get that. So you form this enterprise, you name it after a berry, you... I'm sure, start searching for clients and start figuring out things that you can do for them. Tell me about like who you get for clients and what you do for them. When we started, I, we had zero clients. And um, I went on this podcast with this person who interviewed young people who wanted to do something. And she became our first client. And so we were doing social media management, like graphic design, like all these social things for her. And it started there. Did that help her? Did she get more listeners? Yeah, she was getting more listeners. She was getting more traction on social. And we were helping her also like think through how to reach young people and how to position ourselves to reach young people. And so that that helped her and it worked. And from there, we also then, I went to this conference and met this like um, bus company that was trying to make it more accessible for college students to travel. And so we helped them build an ambassador program. And so we were like flirting around with kind of the creator space through all this. And then we kind of came into it by accident. We were on this like website called Clutch. It's where like agencies go to list themselves. And so we listed ourselves. We were like, we're going to get a ton of clients. And so Mika from Community Change, she found us on there and she reached out. And that was like our first real dive into kind of the political space, the progressive nonprofits. What is Community Change for people who don't know? Yeah, so Community Change is a DC-based nonprofit. They've been around for a while, and they fight for low-income communities of color. Um, they do a lot of work around the child tax credit. They, we've done campaigns with them around immigration, healthcare, GOTV. Um, and so Mika came to us around trying to figure out a strategy on how to reach their audience 
through platforms like TikTok um, and how to reach audiences that they weren't already reaching through Facebook or Google or any other like ad platforms they were using. And so she brought up this idea of the influencer work and we'd done an influencer campaign for another company at the time, but we'd only done one and we had like really figured it out. Like we found influencers, emailed them, like we had no idea what we were doing, but we tried to do it and we really liked it and we figured we were good at it because the company was getting the ROI. And so she came to us at the same time, pitched us this influencer campaign. And we were like, yes, we will do it. We started with a very small pilot and our whole goal was to work with non-political creators, primarily non-political creators of color to share their stories around community changes issues. So we weren't even saying like, hey, raise some money for community change. They didn't even have to mention community change. We just wanted to empower them to share their stories and then pay them for their work. We did that. We did the first video and it reached a million people on TikTok. Like that was our first video. And they saw it. We saw it. We were like, this is an incredible amount of impact that we can have in the short term, but also in the long term, build relationships with people that may not be in this space, but bring them into the space. And so that was our first kind of dabble into the influencer space with community change. Since then, we went on to then find next gen and we work with Caring Across Generations and NTWN, Make the Road and all these different organizations in the progressive nonprofit space, really around how we can bring more people into the space, more creators into this space in a way in which Meet Guide brought us into the space um, and Community Changes brought us into the space. And so those are just some of the clients, some of the organizations we worked with um, as well. Yeah. What makes a good client for you? It can't be equally easy to conceive of a campaign or a video or whatever content for different types of organizations. What works? I think the biggest thing is trust. We have like maximum like four, three to four years of working experience. We're not from the political space. We're not from the tech space. We started this thing because we think we can do something and we think we're good at something. There's not really that much proof. Now there is, but like two years ago, there was like basically no proof. And so I think like people trusting us was important because if they didn't trust us, they wouldn't trust any of our decisions, which means they wouldn't let you know us do it and which means the campaign would fail, but then it would fail because of us. And so I think like trust there, trust in us. But I think like the bigger thing is also like trust in creators themselves. I think a lot of people who consider themselves experts do not see the creators as experts because the creators may not be good at politics or they might not have experience with messaging, but the creators know their audience better than anyone else. They know how to create content for the platform better than anyone else. And so if you don't trust them, you give them a script and tell them exactly what to film, like that is not going to do well because like an audience is going to be like, why are you who always does, you know, um, skits doing like a direct-to-camera read, like I'm not going to watch that and then it won't perform. And so like trust is like the biggest thing that can make or break what we do. Do you worry about aging out of this? Is this just a young person's game and you got like another six months to go or how do you think about that? I hope not. But I think like one thing we're trying to do is hire young people all the time. And so like expand as a team. But I think like the bigger thing about what we do is less about just helping these organizations reach young people, but it's more about trying to also help these organizations access creators. Um, Because I think like a lot of the creator world can be gatekept. It can be behind managers, behind accounts with thousands and hundreds of thousands of followers, right? And so like a lot of what we're trying to do is provide access so that anyone, young or old, 
can just have open access to these creators. And I think that will never, will never age out of that. But we always want to hire young people um, and we always want to trust young people, um, not just from like a hiring perspective, but also elevate them into equity ownership and things like that as well. So that's important to us. But access to creators is our goal, whether you're young, old, you know. Which has been harder, finding clients or finding creators? Finding clients because the clients are the ones paying us and the creators. Um, I think, you know, for us, we've been able to build strong relationships with creators because we're not only getting them paid, but we're also getting them paid around mission aligned causes. We're getting them paid around issues they care about, their lived experiences. Um, and so our goal is always to find clients that want to trust and work with creators. I think the creator space has been like established in the for-profit world, but in the nonprofit and impact world, it's still kind of lagging behind um, and there's less organizations that want to work with creators. I think it's increasing and we'll see it increase more, but the client side is always the tougher side of the marketplace. Creators are not created equal. I mean, some people are just way better at that kind of work than others. How do you make sure that if you happen to start a relationship with someone who isn't that good, that that's not who you're putting in front of your clients? Yeah. So we look at, you know, every creator who signs up to our platform, we vet them. So we go through their content, we talk to them, we understand, you know, what they care about, who they care about. But I think like, you know, there's no like, this is a good creator, this is not a good creator. I think all creators are, you know, good at some things, bad at some things, and we try to play to their strengths. So if some creator may not have a really highly engaged audience, but creates really good styles of content, we help them work with a client who wants that style of content to then run in ads or share with their community versus if a creator is really bad at communication, we try to coach them and say, hey, can you do this? Can you do that? And then, you know, when we're matching them with a client, we tell the client, hey, this creator, it's going to take a month to work with them instead of like a week. And so we help them, you know, navigate that. And because we have all this data on how creators are reacting, how creators are replying. But I think for creators that, you know, aren't, you know, fitting into the mission, vision, values of an organization, we don't bring them to the organization. We make sure that it's, it's the right match. And that's the most important thing for us is like finding the right match between creator and cause. You mentioned intriguingly something about equity ownership. What is your arrangement with creators and what is the structure of your enterprise in that kind of regard? Yeah, so right now we're still very early stage. And so what we're doing is creators can sign up for free and we don't charge them a fee or we don't take a percentage of their fee as well. So if a creator charges $100, we will tell the brand the creator charges $100. And if they're on a subscription, that will just be $100 for them. If they're on a you know fee-based package, it'll be $112 for the brand. But we take $112 for the brand and then give $100 to the creator because the creator said, their fees were $100. Obviously, creators don't charge $100. It's much higher than that. But that's just the round number example I'm giving. But right now, that's the kind of model. I think one thing we're currently piloting is an incentive program. So we're trying to take our revenue. So, you know, 5% of all, all the money we make, put it into kind of a bucket and then give it to creators based on certain things. So we might give it to our most active creators or we might divide it equally amongst all creators. We're still trying to figure out what to do, but that's another thing we're trying to do. And what we're trying to also do is we're trying to hire creators onto our team. So we have a creator managing our community. We have a creator actually doing creator outreach, giving us feedback. And eventually we want to also um, give them percentage ownerships into the company so that 
all the work they're doing goes back to them as well. Who would you love to work for that you haven't found as a client? Who would I love to work for? That's a really good question. I don't know. I haven't thought about that. I have this whole list of names, but no, no one comes to mind right now. But I mean, we have been trying to get into look at CAB in the Center for American Progress and like those folks, because they tend to do a lot of work in the impact space. And like for us, if we're able to have an impact, reaching out to them and trying to figure something out, but we haven't been able to work with them. So that they're one that comes to mind immediately. I was just having a conversation with someone about the Emerson Collective, and I've been trying to reach out to folks there around like how we can work with them. But those are like the big organizations in the space, and we're trying to work our way up there. But those are two that come to mind. So if you had to pitch me and my podcast, your services, what would you say? First, I would want to make sure it's right for you. But I think I would say, you know, if you're looking to reach young people and if you're looking to engage young people, you want to go to where they are. TikTok is where they are. Next, you want to look at how you can reach them. Influencers are who these young people follow. So you want to go to where they are with who they follow and with who they consume. And TikTok creators are the way to do that. And so if it's right for you, we can find you the right TikTok creators with audiences that are interested in politics, audiences that are interested in political entrepreneurship, and work with them to kind of reach them. Seems to me, you know, off the top of my head, kind of unlikely that there's a TikTok creator that would be interested in my podcast. Do you know of anybody? I actually do. He's not a political entrepreneur or anything. I guess he is an entrepreneur. He's a creator. He's an educator. He does a lot of like educational work around social justice. Happy to make an introduction because I think he'd be an awesome guest. But his name is Conscious Lee and he does a lot of like content on TikTok, on Instagram. He's worked with all the organizations in the social impact political space. But he would be a great guest. And then what do you think someone like Mr. Consciously would do that would attract people to see this kind of content? So he would obviously post about it. He would create content about being on here on his platforms. And he's got millions of followers on both platforms. And he would drive his audience to you. And he would drive his audience to come and tune in. So that's that's one way he would drive audience to listen in and tune in. But I also think he'd give a lot of valuable information on what it means to be a creator entrepreneur in the political space to your audience as well to kind of engage them because I think that's a perspective that not a lot of people can bring and he's one of those people who can bring it. So maybe more relevantly than this podcast, what if you're running for office, you're running for US Senate or you're running for Congress or governor of a state or even locally? What could they or might they expect from an engagement with you? Yeah, so I think like the way we are trying to position creators and trying to position the strategy is, you know, PR and news has been an established part of the campaign or cause cycle for years, right? Like anyone running for office, one of the first things they do is build relationships with journalists in this space. You also want to build those same relationships with creators in the space because creators often have the same reach, a lot of times more reach than a lot of media platforms. And so you want to build similar relationships with creators and we can help you build those creator relationships or you can build them themselves through our platform by accessing these creators, explaining your vision, explaining why you're running and seeing if you can get buy-in from these creators. And so that's the way we're trying to get people to think about working with creators. Yeah. It seems like you've found yourself a bit of an exciting place to be. Does it feel that way? It does. I think, you know, it's, I think it's, it's exciting. It's fun. We get to talk with these 
amazing creators who are doing cool things and who are building cool things. But we also get to talk to these really impactful organizations that are fighting for people. And so we're at the intersection of what I consider the best things um, in this world, which is creators that you know create really impactful content for people, organizations that do really impactful things for people. And so I, I think we're at a really exciting place. I love doing what I'm doing and hope to continue doing it. But yeah, we're, we're at a really exciting place. How do you view the competitive landscape? I'm aware of other folks who have similar agency type work for similar clients that are out there also. What have you seen and how do you think you stack up? Yeah, so there's definitely kind of a lot of competition in the space, both in the space, sort of adjacent to the space in the regular for-profit world. There's a lot of organizations in space. Um, What we've seen a lack of in the political social impact space is a platform to provide access to everyone. So I think there's a lot of agencies, but we haven't found the right platform to be able to match these organizations with influencers, take care of all the underlying like 1099s, contracts, payments, all of the technology, which is how we're trying to separate ourselves. We want to be used by all our competitors. We want all the agencies to use us to sign creators up do all the logistics, then we also want to use have smaller organizations that can't afford these agencies or sometimes can't even afford us to be able to just hop into our platform, do everything themselves and be able to not pay like an agency fee because obviously agency, agency fees tend to be higher. And so we're looking at the competitive space as a really a partnership space because we think we can work with them. Again, that's what we think and hope some other organizations might be developing their own platforms. Who knows? Previously on the podcast, I had founder of the collective agency, actually it was Catherine Jones and Jeffrey Miles. That was in 2018. I don't know whether they continued or anything, but it was, it was a similar, a little less focused on maybe TikTok and youth, but it was also a community of, of creatives. I definitely have seen this model, um, which often is a good sign, right? If, if, it's there or or maybe not if it didn't last where would you like to see your firm in five years or so i think like where we want to see us going is we want to be the home for all the creators who want to do good so anytime a creator thinks about hey i have such a huge platform so you want to just be the kind of go-to platform for people and do you do do you limit that to sort of progressive world nonprofit world impact world or do you think about Hey, this could also do it for Coke and Volkswagen. So we we want to limit it to the progressive nonprofit impact world because we're also building the technology for them. So one of the things we do is when you sign up as a organization on our platform, we have an algorithm that matches you with the creator based on certain things. So we want to make sure the creator actually cares about your cause. And so we're doing a lot of self-reporting on the creator side when they're onboarded to then match them. Then we're also looking at like adjacent organizations. So we're trying to incorporate machine learning and AI to incorporate matching based on what other organizations in the space are doing, what's working, actions from the creator. So like if a creator likes or dislikes similar causes, things like that. And so we think that is only focused more on the impact or cause-focused world because also the creators are talking about what causes they want to work with, what stories they want to share. Coke doesn't care if you care about social impact unless they're doing a social impact campaign. Other larger organizations could use us for more CSR social impact campaigns, but not necessarily just outside. We also think that general 
creator economy tech and influencer tech is already built out for these large organizations. I mean, they can pay a lot more money to these tools and we want to focus on more of the impact space. So I think how we might expand is looking at donations and looking at how we can get creators fundraising for these organizations. And I think like expanding in that space is something in the future. I noticed you had an article about you in the New York Times and how'd you make that happen? So we've been working with Left Hook. Shreepal has been an advisor to us. And I think like if I think about everything I've done, it's been because of people that have opened incredible doors for us. And Shreepal is one of those people. I found him on the forum called the Progressive Exchange, I think, posted saying like, hey, we're trying to see if we should have a PR strategy. I found him and he's just been an advisor um, introducing us to folks. And he also started working with Community Change at the same time. And so... All three of us were kind of thinking through like what we did with the child tax credit. We put together a case study and he sent it to the reporter at the New York Times and the rest is history. Did that lead to much? So it led to a lot of validation. I think the one thing we're trying to establish is like, hey, we think creator strategies work, but also you should trust us. Like, And being featured in the New York Times brings us a lot of trust. Um, and for us, like, that has been really helpful. So instead of like, a lot of traffic coming from it to us. It's more, you know, if someone comes to us, we can show them this article and say, hey, like this is the strategy being written about in the New York Times. We're not just making this up. There are case studies like this is okay. Because again, a lot of us is like we're young people. We don't have that much traction or past history. And so a lot of our work has been to show why we're worth it. What else would you like people to know about what you're up to? We want to make it easy and accessible to work with creators. Everyone should be able to work with creators. It's not this hard, complicated thing. It's a lot about small, simple things. And if you're able to do those small, simple things properly, which a lot of people struggle to do, you will be able to work with creators and you'll be able to reach the right audiences. Creator work is accessible to everyone. Please work with creators. Is there a question that I should have asked you that I didn't? I don't think so. I mean, I know we talked a lot about the firm, um, but we're not a firm anymore. We are a platform now. Um, we're trying to position ourselves as a platform um, and really- well, What's the difference between a firm and a platform? I think we're trying to do less services work and trying to do more just as a SaaS subscription model um, for anyone. And so that, that might mean us participating in less strategy, but it means us being able to empower others to do the strategy and us taking care of the nitty gritty logistics so that they can focus on relationship building with creators and we can focus on all the stuff that takes the time. Have you sought investment? We have not. We've been fully bootstrapped and we use the services model and the agency model to kind of fund the tech. And we're looking at um, fundraising right now. We're trying to raise. And that's why the episode resonated with me because I think like it's a really tough landscape, especially now. But we're also at this weird intersection of politics, impact, tech, um, and there's not a lot of people investing. Have you tried Higher Ground Labs, for example? So we're, we've been in conversations with them. We're going to apply to their accelerator um, and as well. I think a lot of what we're finding is like there's already established agencies in the space that have been funded by a lot of the funders. There's no platform yet, but I think... They might be more open to that, actually. Exactly. Um, and so we're going to be applying to them. We're going to be trying to open up conversations. New Media Ventures? We've been trying to reach out, haven't been able to, but that's one that we want to reach out to as well um, to kind of talk through. But 
I think we're also trying to explore a world in which we could bootstrap this because I think we've started building the platform. We do have an MVP. We do have the ability for people to use it. And so like there is a world where if we got a lot of clients, we could continue building this. And that might give you more freedom. I could imagine some of the enterprises that are large and do a lot of communication work and advertising work and digital work for the progressive movement that might be interested in acquiring you or bringing you into their organization as part of it that had this expertise. Was that something you'd be open to? Yeah, we're, I mean, we're considering it and we've entertained offers already at this stage. And I think like for us, we're trying to figure out what the right move is for us, for our team, for our clients, but also like our impact. I think a big part of us and what we're trying to do is facilitate payments to creators and allow more creators to go full time. And so our North Star metric is like, how much have we paid creators this month? That's all we do. That's the one metric we track everything back to because if creators are getting paid through us, that means we're getting paid. That means our team's getting paid. That means all of it trickles down from that one metric. And so can we increase that you know, number by being acquired by another company? Do they give us access to more clients? Do they have other opportunities? And so that's what we're thinking. They, I mean, they could certainly in the short run, but they might also change who's at the wheel and what North Star you're pointing at. So it's a a big decision. And yeah, exactly. And I think that's what we're trying to figure out. Well, very good to talk to you. Really enjoyed it. Anything else you want to say? No, I mean, it's been such a great experience chatting here. Excited that I got the opportunity to share our creator work. Working with creators and working with organizations in the space has been such an exciting experience, and I'm excited to continue doing it. I said the word exciting too much, but (laughs) yeah, I'm just grateful. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. That was Ashwath Narayanan. He's at socialcurrent.com. This is Nathaniel G. Perlman with the Great Battlefield Podcast. You can find us at greatbattlefield.com or by searching for Great Battlefield in places where podcasts are found. The Great Battlefield is now part of the Democracy Group Podcast Network. Visit democracygroup.org to learn more about other podcasts that cover democracy and civic engagement. You can also help me by leaving comments and good ratings on Apple Podcasts or elsewhere and by sending me suggestions for great guests to nperlman at gmail.com.